I'm Keith Law. Welcome to episode 74 of the Keith Law Show. My guest today is going to be Craig Calcaterra. You can find his subscription newsletter at cupofcoffee.substack.com. Craig also has a book coming out in the spring, Rethinking Fandom. We'll talk about all of that. English Premier League soccer, uh, Welsh rugby, local Columbus politics, just for a moment, obviously. How Craig and I consume baseball games and a whole lot more. For subscribers to The Athletic, my most recent piece is last week's column on the transformation of Austin Riley from replacement level hitter to all-star and I would say down ballot MVP candidate. All the credit in the world goes to Austin for the work that he did on that. I tried to detail that and back it up with data as much as possible. I will be heading out to a few more minor league games this month. The nice thing is uh, with this horrible pandemic influence season is at least we have a few more weeks of minor league baseball going up to the end of the year it was up in somerset on friday uh, sorry on saturday uh maybe going down to aberdeen one more time hopefully getting up to a couple more games before the season runs out also for those of you who share my interest in tabletop gaming board gaming i will be at gen con this weekend Feel free to drop me a line on any social media site twitter at keith law facebook keith law writer instagram mr mr keith law and uh, let me know if you're going to be at Gen Con. I'd be happy to meet up, sign any books, maybe get a game in before the convention is done. I know it's a smaller show this year, but I am still very much looking forward to it. Now it is my pleasure to be joined by my longtime friend, Craig Calcaterra. Craig writes a wonderful subscription newsletter, which I strongly suggest you subscribe to. I subscribe to it. It is You can go there uh, to subscribe at cupofcoffee.substack.com. Dot com. As we are talking now, I have a cup of coffee. I do not have an actual cup of coffee, coffee mug. I have to get on that. But I do have my, I do actually have coffee to talk to you today, Craig. I have a cup of coffee mug. I, I sell them through mm-hmm. like one of those like red bubble things or whatever. And um, I went six months without having one of myself. And my wife, Allison, said, you need to get one. So she got one for me. And I think I've only used it twice. So I, I'm a really bad person when it comes to like selling merch. My, uh, I, so I, put up this shirt that says, you know, I'm just here for the ump show mm-hmm. to raise some money for a local group that's helping Afghan refugees settle in the, in my area here in Delaware. And my wife asked me over the weekend, she said, where's yours? I'm like, <laughs> Oh, I forgot to buy one. Yeah. I guess they don't send you one. Right? No, you they don't. Buy yeah. Now. I, I mean, I, I really love those companies, you know, I guess Redbubble, what's the other one? There's a, a cafe press, things like that, where mm-hmm. they'll make merch for you. They're, they're really cool, except it's they great. take like 90, they take 90% of the money and don't give you anything free. So other than that, it's fantastic. Yes. I used a uh, bonfire for this. I don't know how much else they do, but I shopped around. I was like, well, what'll actually raise the most money yes. per shirt? And that's how I settled on them. Also, they were very easy to use. And even like, I mean, I just did the design like, um, like free, did it freehand and took a photograph and they like touched it up for me, which is very good. Cause n- I am many things. I am not an artist. It's, you know, when people have actual skills, unlike me or, or you in the art kind of department, it's kind of nice to, to use them no matter what they charge. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we're going to talk about Columbus politics today. Fun. Right. I figured that'll be, maybe we can do one baseball question at the end. But, <laughs> so when are you running for city council there? I, they they will not let me. I and it's funny. I I write this political column every two weeks for Columbus Alive, which is an alternative paper here, kind of an alternative paper, I guess. That's a long story. Um, but I don't live in Columbus. Actually, I live in a suburb of New Albany, and I have uh, I, I have become a giant pain in the butt for New Albany people. Um, I've only lived here for what sixteen years now, and I'm finally 
getting involved in the place that I'm about ready to move out of in two years. So yeah, it's going great. No, I'm not running for anything. They won't have me. <laughs> um, so we'll talk a little baseball. I also want to talk. You've got a book coming out in April that is called uh, Rethinking Fandom. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. Um, but your ba- main thing in your newsletter, your newsletter starts every day with uh, recaps of the previous day's activities. I don't, we don't have to go through every game yesterday. However, what what exactly is going on in Baltimore right now? It, <laughs> right, I'm not sure. And I mean, I know those guys. I don't want to pick on them too much. But that's kind of tankish when you're giving up. What did Joe Sheehan pointed this out? They gave up ten plus runs twice in the span of four innings. Yeah, it's it just an absolute tire fire, and it gets really old really fast. Describing a bad team, I, 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 if you had to cover a bad team every single day. I mean, God love you. You're looking for stories. You're looking for angles. You're trying there would not be to be more than coffee in this cup. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, with the recaps, it's great because I don't have to do anything in depth. I mean, I'm, I'm a dilettante at heart, so I don't have to like sit and talk about what the problem with the Baltimore Orioles is very often, you know, once in the offseason or if they make a move or something. like that. <laughs> they're, they're not going to make a move. But, you know, if uh, if something comes up, but once in a while when they have a weekend as bad as they just had against the Blue Jays, um, you, you, you're left searching for for a way to compare it and the closest thing i can think of was when brandon hyde their manager after losing a a 22 to 4 game after just blowing a double header where they gave up 22 runs says we swung the bat pretty well we're just not pitching very well that is the classic understatement i had to search i googled the greatest (laughs) understatements of all time uh the the number one on the list they're all british by the way of course because you have to have you have to be british for that kind of understatement um number one on the list was when someone lost their leg at the battle of waterloo and and uh you know and someone said well my gosh you have lost your leg haven't you and so this one though (laughs) This was a true story. In 1982, a 747 from British Airways flew through volcano ash uh, over the Indian Ocean, lost all four engines. The pilot came on and said, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We have a small problem. All four engines have stopped. We are doing our damnedest to get them going again. I trust you're not in too much distress. That is Brandon Hyde level <laughs> of, of understatement. And you know, what else can you do? I, what does Brandon Hyde do? There's no school for how to talk about this. No, and I, you know, it's Orioles fans, uh, you know, I had an Orioles writer contact me a couple of weeks ago to sort of ask, you know, how do you think the rebuild's going? And I actually kind of came down more on the side of the Orioles. This was a pretty bad situation that Mike Elias and, and company mm-hmm. inherited. This was going to take a long time. But also, they have to build a pitching staff. Yeah. I mean, as, you know, they, and, uh, you know, Brandon Hyde's kind of alluding to that. And you sort of look in the major league club and you look down the system. Yes, Grayson Rodriguez is coming. Hopefully DL Hall does not, you know, hopefully he'll, he'll stay healthy enough because actually there were points where I thought he was the better pitching prospect of the two. But you need five big league starters, more or less. Obviously, some teams get by with fewer than that. And really, you need more than that to build a major league rotation. This isn't specific to the Orioles. A lot of these rebuilding teams, you, you look two, three years into the rebuild, you think, wait, where's the pitching going to come from? A lot of these teams can draft hitters. And I feel like if you're very model-centric as a, as a drafting team, you can probably find enough hitters. But, you know, I feel like Brandon Hyde's going to be making comments about like that about the pitching staff for, for a long time, unless they spend money, which obviously doesn't seem like ownership is about ready to do in Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, it's like the weather. You could only describe it in so many ways, and you can't do anything about it. Certainly he can't in his position. And 
I, I look at this team. I, I mean, I slag on them all the time because there's great humor in slagging on bad teams, but um, th- there are some offensive pieces there. It's mm-hmm. not completely barren. It's actually interesting. No. And and I would love to imagine a situation where Cedric Mullins, for example, is sort of the the veteran, he, the, the Carlos Baerga on the mid-90s mm. uh, Indians. That That's the kind of thing that I would like to think of him as. He's, he's not going to be there for the entire run when they're good again, but like he gets some glory towards the end. He's like 26, 27 or something right now. Right. Um, Ancient. Yeah, but at least he's interesting. I mean, there yeah. have been there have been cratering terrible teams that don't have anybody worth watching. And, you know, watching him is is fun. And, you know, the Trey Mancini story obviously is is a great story. Um, but yeah, I just, you just can't, you can't invent pitching and it's just going to take forever. So would you rather, when you have to do this point in the year, right? So we're in, in mid-September and most teams are out of it. Would you rather write a recap of a game between two teams that are just totally out of it and they're just playing out the string or competitive a game that at least involves one team that's heading for the playoffs or does it just depend on what happened in the game? meaningless baseball is way more interesting to me. <laughs> I, I, I mean, as a writer, as a very self-indulgent navel-gazing writer, meaningless baseball is more yeah. interesting to me. If you're a good writer, you know, then you can make a lot of good stuff. Like, this is what real writers do, is they write, make World Series games seem interesting. I can't do that, but I can definitely find the uh, existential ennui in a, you know, an Orioles-Royals game in you know late September or something like that. That's that's where the fun stuff is for me because I just like to think of all the it, my whole thing is where real life intersects baseball. I I'm not a I don't even consider myself a baseball writer sometimes because I'm just sort of watching like everybody else and just coming up with with whatever. And it's it's way more fun to to find real life stuff that helps put baseball misery in perspective because baseball misery isn't real misery. Yeah. Um, on-field baseball misery is, and it's still a ball game, and that's great, and it's fun. Um, and I know these guys do this for a living, and they take it very seriously. And and I don't mean to belittle that, but uh, when you could, you know, look at a, at a game like that, and then just start thinking about, you know, the Battle of Hastings, you know, that's that's where the good stuff is for me. I I, I love meaningless baseball. Meaningless baseball might be the name of my Substack. <laughs> I actually really like that. I'm going to steal that. I've, I've said this like a million times. I've written it a hundred different ways and I recycle myself all the time. But um, on this point specifically, you know, for me, baseball is to use the cliche. It's the soundtrack of a summer. It's the background. Mm-hmm. I, I just like baseball as a place to sort of live in as opposed to following it breathlessly or analyzing it granularly. Um, it's just not what I do. And and my love of baseball ever since I was a little kid is, is that thing that's always on. And the stakes are in any given game, not counting October, the stakes are very, very low. And there's something comforting in that. We live in a society that is stakes are extraordinarily high staked and they, it's getting worse as we get older. At least it seems that way. Maybe that's just an old man thing to say, but um, a, a meaningless game in August or September or something like that just reminds me of, of something normal, something easy, something relaxing. And uh, I have fun with it. I absolutely associate particularly baseball on the radio, which is a shame mm-hmm. because of course, you know, a lot of people don't use the radio. Like I can't think of the last time I actually had the radio on. My wife listens to the local public radio um, music station, uh, listener supported music station, WXPN way more than I do. If I'm in the car, it's a podcast or it's, Spotify. Um, but I have so many memories of sitting outside as a kid with 
a baseball game on the radio. Usually the Yankees, but if the Yankees weren't on, we would put the Mets on. We were, we were like pretty equal opportunity as a household. It was not like Yankees rule Mets suck. We were not those people. My parents You're are a Long Island, right? Yes. Okay. I yeah. thought that was like all Mets territory. My parents are from the Bronx. Ah, okay. They were Bronx okay. born and raised. My grandmother, my grand, but like mo- my entire family came out of the Bronx. And between that and being Italian, my mother's completely Italian. My dad's half Italian. The Yankees were very much the Italian team. So we were a Yankee household first. If there had been interleague play, we would have been all Yankees when they were playing ah. the Mets. But my parents just did not raise us. Like the idea of like, well, you're supposed to hate this other team. I didn't get that at home. I would get that at school, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I hate the Cowboys because I'm a good American. <laughs> <laughs> but like we never – I didn't hate the Red Sox. In the 86 World Series, I was rooting for the Mets because they were the local team. And so not because I hated the Red Sox specifically. And so I just have lots of memories of particularly the Yankees broadcast. It was Messer, White, and Rizzuto. And I, I still have such a clear memory of – Mel Allen coming back to do a couple of innings, some point probably in the oh, mid eighties, yeah. just hanging out outside. And like, I knew him as the voice of this week in baseball. You're right, old yeah, enough, right? Here. We're about the same age. Like mm-hmm. that's who he was. And I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like I knew Mel Allen was a former Yankees broadcaster, but I'd never actually heard him do a game. And even as a kid, I was like, okay, this seems pretty cool. And that's very much like a soundtrack of summer thing to me. I, I was introduced to baseball on the radio. I my family were not sports fans. My parents aren't sports fans. Uh, I didn't have uncles that were sports fans. I just I had, well, I had a great uncle that introduced me to baseball, but not anything like most kids have. Mm-hmm. I was introduced to baseball because I didn't like going to sleep in a quiet room, and mm-hmm. I could get WJR. And I was flipping when I was like five years old. I was flipping the radio, and I got WJR from Detroit. I, I was in Flint, Michigan, as a kid. Okay. And I got Ernie Harwell doing Tigers games. Ah. Oh. And that, to me, that's the first I heard. That's I just assumed Ernie Harwell was sort of the standard uh, mm-hmm. for baseball, which, of course, he was not. He was, yes. you know, <laughs> inner circle, whatever. Gold standard. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Ernie Harwell and Paul Carey, he wasn't uh, he didn't have a solo booth. And Paul Carey, um, they would, you know, he'd take middle innings. And it, color commentary then was every three innings, the guy would say, yeah, he really hit that one. I mean, that, yeah, it wasn't right. like crazy. <laughs> So it was just Ernie Harwell. And and that was it. And, you know, I later would get on TV and I would watch TBS when I moved away from Detroit and watch the Braves games and everything. But now I have MLB TV. I could watch basically any game. We're only blacked out here in Ohio from a couple of teams. Um, and I, of course, watch the postseason all the time and everything on TV. Yeah. But during the season, and this season is probably the most extreme that I've had since I was a kid. I think 90% of the baseball I've consumed this season has been on the radio via, well, via the MLB app of the radio feeds. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can do things with the baseball on the radio that I can't while it's on TV. I could write while baseball on the radio is going on. I could read a little bit if it's not too intense while baseball is on the radio. I could do work mm-hmm. around the house because I can carry my phone with me and listen yes. to it. Um, so I have rediscovered over the past three or four years, I'd say, but this year was definitely the year where it is it is a radio pursuit for me now. And I love it. I absolutely love it. I get more out of it. Um, I've seen enough baseball in my life where I can imagine what's happening in any given situation. If it's described to me, you know, if a sure. crazy play happens, it bounces off three guys heads and then falls, you know, for right. a hit or something. But I'll, you can I'll go, go find, find it. it. Yeah, yeah. It's there. It's not going anywhere. And I can go watch the replay or something. 
And my recaps is a great example. Like in the evening, especially during the week, we were talking before we started recording how early I wake up. Well, I go to sleep pretty early too. And sometimes I'm even asleep before the East Coast games are done. Um, I'll listen on the radio for a little while. In the morning when I wake up to do my recaps, I'll just go back to MLB TV. And if there are four or five interesting plays in the game, I'll just watch them. Yep. And I don't know if that makes me not a real fan or, or what, <laughs> but uh, it, it is a, an oral, uh, a URL sort of medium for me now. That's interesting that you say I have so many, like, I mean, honestly, we could just talk about how we consume baseball for an hour easily. I mean, we maybe we should we'll continue talking about that for a moment. One thing that's interesting is I can sit there. You can't, you say you can't write if you're watching, but you can write if you're listening. Yeah, I, I mean, I can if I'm watching, but I just find myself looking up too much. Yeah. It's funny because I'm the opposite. If it's on, and I do this constantly now, I love to have, especially if it's just me, if everyone else in the house is doing other stuff, I can have the game on the screen. I'll turn the sound way down, mm-hmm. mostly because I don't want to hear the announcers. Yeah. Um, and then I can write. Whereas if all I have is the audio, I have to listen. I can't listen and write. Like I've yeah. learned that from like family members also. Like, Did you hear what I just said? And I'm like, no. Well, see, I'm the I same way with not. people talking to me. <laughs> it's like I'm, I, I, you know, I'm far more, uh, far more likely to to listen to you know Tom Hamilton or somebody than I am to listen to my uh, you know, my kids. So. <laughs> now, do you find you listen to a lot of games because of the recaps specifically? Mm-hmm. Do you bounce around? Do you listen? Try to listen to whole games or close to whole games? To, you know, a whole game is a large commitment when you're trying to cover everything, but like. How, how do you typically consume then? Do you try to bounce from game to game and look for something interesting or do you stick with one game for a while? If there are day games during the week, I'll just listen to one whole game. I'll always yeah. listen to like one whole game. I, yeah. I don't I don't like switch. OK, now I'm going to go to this game. Now I'm going to that game. And I'm not even really doing it for purposes of, oh, I got to write this recap tomorrow because my recaps are almost totally a function of box stores and game stories mm-hmm. and highlights. Um but when I'm listening during the week, if when no one's here, when when Allison's at work and the kids are at school, if there's a day game, I'll just listen to the whole thing and I'll just pick, you know, during the week, you only have a choice of a couple of game, day games. So that's not right. a big deal. On the weekend, if I'm working in the garage or doing something like that, I'll just pick whatever sounds like the best pitching matchup usually. Mm-hmm. Um, if the, yeah, late in the season, starting now, certainly the last couple of weeks of the season, if there are games that are important for, for postseason position, I'll probably go to those. Um, but I'm not. I'm not following any given team. Uh, I tend to gravitate gravitate towards better broadcasters um, if yeah. all things are equal. But uh, it's it's almost completely random. It's just whatever sounds fun at the time. Yeah, that's. Um, I'm with you on the better broadcasters, and I will <laughs> say there are there are not many, but there are some very good ones, and there are some teams. I mean, God, when Hawk Harrelson was doing the White Sox games. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's not that I wouldn't watch the White Sox, but I'd watch the other team's feed or just have the sound off yeah and you just ugh. it could just be assaulting especially tv can be the, the variance in tv is way bigger um yeah, i agree but uh you know i mean if bob Uecker's doing a brewers game even if i don't want to listen to the brewers game, brewers game i'm gonna turn it on yeah i find that i bounce now especially where it's like is so and so who's pitching is it a particular prospect or a player i haven't seen or somebody who's having an unexpected year you know, where I can jump in and you know, watch a couple innings, get a couple, watch specific at-bats. Keeper Ruiz came up the other day and I was just trying to flip back and forth and catch a lot of his at-bats. The Nationals aren't good. 
Uh, and they don't have a ton of players that I need to specifically see. Not that I don't like watching Juan Soto, but I'm not learning anything necessarily. So I was trying right. to bounce between a bunch of games. But I've no- I bring that up also because I don't know if you've noticed this this year, but with teams so limited in how many players they can call up in September, a lot of the bad teams don't have enough of those guys. And maybe it's right. also compounded by the fact that AAA – the AAA season is going it's, – it's almost contemporaneous with the end of the major league season now. So we just may not see a lot of those guys – You know, maybe Bobby Wood Jr. doesn't come up, not because the Royals don't want him up, but because Omaha is still playing until right. the end of the month. And so they just want him to finish the season with the team, which I do understand. I think there is some value in that. Yeah, I, I think so. I Unlike – I mean, obviously, you have very specific professional reasons to want to see these guys. Um, for me, it's like, you know, are you a top 10 blue chipper? I, I, mm-hmm. I want to see that guy. Um, but you've seen that guy like five years ago. So I, <laughs> hopefully, I, 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 by the way, I've used this like not not that he's some like, you know, uncovered diamond or anything like that. But I got to see Wander Franco when he was 17 years old playing in Princeton. Oh, yeah. So I'm the same year. Yeah. And uh, I just have I was doing some freelance piece for like a West Virginia travel magazine and they wanted me to go to minor league games in West Virginia. So I go and see a Princeton game. And and for five minutes, I felt like Keith Law because I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to watch this, you know, 17 year old guy that no one's seen yet, but everybody's heard about. And I, I my takeaway was he's good. He's good. This is how you if you're not a scout and you have no scouting background. I, I think I, I was able to identify in real time that he had amazing bat speed. But, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and I'm sitting around because a couple of people in the ballpark knew that I was you know, a writer from out of town. And uh, sure. so Wander Franco comes up. I take notice. The guy goes, so what? what is he doing that no one else is doing? And I just completely faked it for, you know, five minutes and said, That's oh, he's, well, he's younger than all these guys. I knew that was true. And then yeah. uh, the bat speed is amazing. And uh, <clears throat> he's good. I got to go get a beer. I'll see you. <laughs> well, now you've learned how to be me. Actually. And that was a big lie because they don't sell beer at the Princeton Race Stadium. So. Oh, that's there you go. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> well, now they definitely now it's not even a race, a college underclass. Yeah, and I think they the changed all their names and everything too. So I don't yeah, know right. They had to. Oh God, that's you know what? I don't even want to go down that particular <laughs> rabbit hole, especially because now you know the Somerset. So the Yankees moved their Double A affiliate from Trenton, which is now independent, to Somerset. The Somerset Stadium is great. The people up there have been great, but it's an hour further from my house, mm-hmm. and so because this is all about me. <laughs> I'm extremely upset about this. Like yes. I used to go to be able, to, I used to be able to drop in on Trenton at almost a moment's notice, and now it's now Somerset is it's definitely more of a production. I ended up going there Saturday. Yeah, I saw your pictures from there. Yeah, it was great. I let that's a really cute stadium, and it's actually pretty easy to get to. Like I don't know why. You know, it's first year, it's pandemic, but they haven't drawn that well the few times I've been there, which is kind of surprising because it's a Yankees affiliate right outside of New York City, a really nice stadium. I would definitely recommend, not that I would ever tell people don't go to such and such a ballpark, but hey, that's a really nice one. And they've had some real prospects there. Luis Medina's pitching there. Um, Randy Vasquez pitched Saturday. He was the main reason I was there as well. Peraz is in the lineup. He's definitely one of their better prospects. Like It's a pretty good experience there. And the couple times I've been there, there just hasn't been anybody in the ballpark. I'm just hoping that the, a lot of these are still like artifacts of pandemic people not yeah. going to games as much and we're still getting back into that rhythm i haven't seen the numbers or anything we, we have the columbus clippers the triple a team affiliate of the indians here and they always draw very very well and it's a you know it's almost a major league quality stadium kind of thing mm-hmm. and allison and i went to a game a month ago or something and it wasn't particularly crowded on a kind of night where normally it would be yeah. maybe they're drawing well maybe they're not i have no idea but it just definitely had the vibe of the hardcore people were there but maybe a year out of practice got people out of practice i really hope that this is a temporary thing 
rather than, you know, obviously baseball screwing with the minor league, screwing with the schedule this year, because mm-hmm. I think that may have affected things. I'm just hoping that a lot of this is is ultimately temporary rather than um, some permanent new feature because I love minor league baseball and I don't love what major league baseball did to it, but it would be a shame to see them kind of lose what they've built up. Well, I, I think that sentiment expands to about everything in society right now. Let's just hope this is all just a temporary feature. Yes, it's very true. <laughs> so I want to divert from baseball just for a moment because you and I have something in common, which is that we have both become fans of a very non-American sport and particularly sport league. You are you have adopted a uh, an English Premier League team. I haven't I haven't really adopted a team yet. Oh no! Okay, you've just become you've just started watching. I well, I started watching with this season for like because okay. I'm the most cliche middle aged white guy ever. I said, well, I think I'm going to get into English soccer, and that's what everybody sure. does, right? And uh, at first, I I thought. I'm going to find a team. I'm going to do what, again, is a cliche American white guy thing is I'm going to find my quest for a team to root for. Right. And so it's been four weeks plus the international break of the season. And over the last couple of weeks, I decided I'm not going to just pick a team. I'm going to see what happens. I'm just going to watch. Ah. And, I, and I, I've been watching like this. I watched four matches this weekend and there's one today at three o'clock that I'll probably watch. Mm-hmm. And I've been watching, you know, between four and seven matches every week. And I'm just sort of watching for the players and I'm watching, I don't want to say storylines because I don't like that concept in, in sports reporting and stuff, but um, just sort of letting it wash over me and enjoy a sport in a way that's very different than the way I take in baseball, which is I have to have a take on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't yet found, oh, I really like that team. Like at first I thought maybe I'll root for Tottenham because I know more players on Tottenham than I know for anybody else. But then I'm like, why, why would I root for Tottenham? Why, why would I pick that? There's no natural reason. Um, so I don't have a team yet. Uh, I, I'm sort of ruling out a couple of teams because of either their ownership or uh, they're just not fun. Like Arsenal is not fun to watch. And I don't like the guy who owns them, who is, uh, I forget how to pronounce his name, Stan Krenke or whatever his name is, who owns the, the Rams. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, he, he yeah. So I, I've sort of like, okay, I'm not going to root for Arsenal, but I haven't ruled anybody else out. And now I've got championship level and and like League Two fans trying to get me to root for their teams. Like, uh, yes, Peterborough is a championship team, and I met a Peterborough supporter at a bar here in Columbus, like during the first week of the season. I'd never heard of the Peterborough team. I don't know, but he spent the entire morning at the bar buying me beers and trying to get me to be a Peterborough fan. <laughs> Please like my team. It is very much so. And I'm like, well, I like this guy. He's actually kind of cool. We hung out. It was really cool. And uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, I guess I'm going to be a Peterborough fan. He, he's now claiming he's going to get me a, a jersey or a kit or whatever you want to call it. Um, a kit. Yes, a kit. right. Yeah, um, I think that's right. He said he's going to order me one. I said, that's too much. That's too much. He goes, well, if you don't tell me what size you are, I'm just going to get you a small. So you better just tell me what size you are. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. So I'll, <laughs> I'll be sporting a Peterborough kit here pretty soon. Yes, I, my uh, equivalent to that is I have become a fan of Welsh rugby, specifically ah. rugby in general, Welsh rugby, because uh, my in-laws are both Welsh-born. My father-in-law is a huge rugby fan, and my wife uh, is also a huge rugby fan. And so there are certain things in the year, like Six Nations tournament that is every mm-hmm. spring, like we watch every match, and um, Wales uh, actually was pretty good this year after being terrible briefly the year before for the pandemic. Um, but my father-in-law thought, very thoughtfully got me several books to read on uh-huh. rugby, particularly the history of rugby. And now I can talk about the time that Hlanetli beat the All Blacks. And what a historic <laughs> moment. I wasn't born yet when that happened, but we all know how important that is. So it has been 
And like soccer, I think if I if you said to me, hey, you got to get into soccer, well, I kind of know how soccer works. Yeah. I don't know it, know it, but I understand it. But rugby to me, I was like, seemed impenetrable. Yeah. What I don't understand. Wait, when is the second down? What is happening <laughs> here? Yes. Why doesn't he have any teeth left? It's close enough to certain aspects of American football. You're like, okay, I get what they're doing. No, that yeah. doesn't make sense. Now, now what's going on? And soccer, I, I never played it. You know, my biggest exposure to it was my kid playing it when he was like six and then giving it up. You know, I and I get it. You watch. The, I, I watch the World Cup every four years because I'm a mark yeah. and it's on TV. And it's interesting. <laughs> so, you know, that it's is definitely middle aged white guy. I'm a huge soccer fan. What are you talking about? Every four years, baby. Yes. Yeah, it's yep. it's it's the same way that people become curling experts every four four years it's oh my god yes. <laughs> but uh and, and that actually is part of the reason i got into soccer i was watching the 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 euro final over the summer oh, yeah. it was uh, yeah. the italy england final and it was on and oh Portazzurri. uh sorry i was rooting for england because I, <sighs> i've been doing genealogy and i realized i'm way more english than i ever knew but um but your last name ends in a vowel as phil rizzuto would say you must be italian adopted my dad's adopted name his stepfather adopted him <sighs> i'd be i would be a mcintyre i'm actually scottish um, oh, it wasn't for that, but uh, which makes I sense because I'm, I'm pasty and I'm bald and I don't like it to be above 60 degrees and things like that. So genetically, <laughs> I come prefer by, if it were raining. Exactly. I come by that, uh, honestly. But, I, you know, I watched that match and it was interesting. I'm like, OK, I'm going to do it. And I was worried about the learning curve. Mm-hmm. And for the game itself, the learning curve is not terribly hard. I I mean, the, the details and the in-depth stuff, obviously, will take a long time to, to really, yeah. truly appreciate. But um, just the same way someone can go to a baseball game and understand the pitcher's trying to do this, the batter's trying to do this, the fielders are moving this way for that reason. That basic level, I've gotten pretty good in soccer. Now, the real detailed stuff about, uh, and I'm trying to think of now a baseball equivalent of, you know, setting up a setting up a batter with this pitch to go to that pitch. Oh, that's a little like next level. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding on that, uh, knowing where the, not, I'm not talking about big shifts, but just knowing when a, a left fielder is shading somebody to right, you know, one way or the other. Um, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm certainly not there yet, but you know, I know what offsides is. I know what, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, the difference between trying to make space, not make space, all those sorts of things. And it's been really rewarding just learning new now lore and knowing that this guy seven years ago did this for this team he was on loan to, that's going to take forever, but I'm, I'm getting there. Yep. Uh, all right. So let's talk about your book, uh, Rethinking Fandom, which is coming out. You can pre-order it now if you go to craigcalcaterra.com slash book. It is right there. It is also on beltpublishing.com's website where you can pre-order it. Rethinking Fandom, how to beat the sports industrial complex at its own game. Tell me about it. So the idea is not what a lot of people when I've described the book have said. I'm not telling you not to be a sports fan and I'm not telling you all the things that suck about being a sports fan. And there are a lot mm-hmm. of bad things about fandom. It can become toxic. It can become obsessive. Um, this is this is not about that. I touch on those issues. But the idea is, as sports fans, we are sort of captive audiences and we, we are suffering from a, a huge amount of Stockholm Syndrome in terms of identifying ourselves with a team and uh, identifying ourselves with the laundry and the ownership of the team. And because of that loyalty, that very understandable loyalty and that very understandable emotional affiliation we have with teams, they are able to take advantage of us in a number of ways. Um, you know, and, and it's everything from the publicly funded stadium stuff to uh, the tanking phenomenon 
to um, uh, to the very questionable uh, social uh, justice positions that a lot of ownership and leagues take vis-a-vis players and vis-a-vis the world at large. We, we are we gravitate towards the team and we 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 identify with that and we almost give it cover. Well, you don't have to be that way. You, you don't have to, you know, there are a couple of things you have to do. First, you have to identify that. You have to realize this is how teams take advantage of it. They're not into sports for the same reason you are. The guy who owns the Dodgers might very well have enjoyed lifting up that championship trophy. Mark Walter, I'm sure enjoyed that. That's not why he bought the Dodgers. Um, maybe part of that is why he bought the Dodgers, but they're, they're businesses and, um, they're not, they don't want the same thing you want. If that happens to coincide, that's great, but they don't necessarily want the same thing you want. Talking about the Orioles earlier. Um, if you're one of the Angelos boys, uh, I'm sure you're doing pretty well financially right now. They could go for it somehow over the next couple of years, and it would probably be worse for them financially. And the question is, are they going to do it? This is a problem in sports fandom that people don't identify. And I, I, I want to look at different ways to be a sports fan that doesn't require you to, to buy into those notions and to, and to give cover for, for ownerships and leagues. Um, things like rooting for players. And I mean, a lot of this is the, the soccer thing. I, I mean, I, I started thinking, should I root for Arsenal or should I root for Man City or should, you know, who should I root for? I'm like, well, no, I, I want to watch Lukaku play. I, I want to see Ronaldo play. Um, I'm interested in those guys. That's why I'm watching the sport. I don't care necessarily what the owner does or, or the prospects of the team. It's good if they if they do well, but rooting for players is is this more fun for me. Um, getting involved in sports and getting involved in the social justice stuff, the Colin Kaepernick situation in the last couple of years, I, I'm not an NFL fan anymore. I gave it up years ago, but I was very interested in seeing Colin Kaepernick and what happened with him afterwards. Um, you know, just being that sort of a sports fan is okay. Um, you could be a Fairweather fan too. This is another the whole chapter in the book about it's okay to be a Fairweather fan. If you root for the Minnesota Timberwolves, and you're like 35 years old, it's been almost your entire life since that team has been good. I mean, Kevin Garnett was good when you were like in grade school, oh but it's God, been like, yeah. yeah, it's been like 30 years. Now almost. he's acting. Yeah, exactly. It's been like 30 years since they've been good. At what point are you still required to give all of your devotion and your money and your attention to the Minnesota Timberwolves? Well, you're not. Maybe you can become a Pacers fan or a Bulls fan or a Bucks fan. Why not? And, and that's something that when you talk with sports fans, they consider it to be anathema, um, but I don't think it is. And so my book is basically arguing to be a different sort of sports fan if you want to, and there's nothing wrong with that. And that doesn't mean you have to give up sports. My guest today has been the great Craig Calcaterra, whose uh, book is coming out in April. We've just been talking about that, Rethinking Fandom. Also, you should subscribe to his newsletter, cupofcoffee.substack.com. You will get lots of recaps, lots of uh Interesting commentary on the Western film acting career of Dane Dunning, as, <laughs> as well as a dose of Columbus politics, some great takes on legal issues in baseball, and lots, lots more. I am a very happy subscriber and look forward to reading your book. Craig, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Keith. That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. Just my regular reminder, I do have two books of my own out, The Inside Game, which came out this year in paperback, and Smart Baseball, which came out a few years ago. We are approaching the holidays. Everyone's looking for gift ideas. I think my books are the ideal gifts, but I may be biased on that subject. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Stay safe. Wear your mask. Please get vaccinated if you haven't already. 
I talked in my most recent newsletter about our own experiences with a breakthrough infection here in the house. And I always, I've always been pro-vaccine, pro-mask, but I feel even more strongly about it now. Thanks again. Take care. Thank you.